Taste the liver. <laughs> well, did it get hot enough for you all today? Ah, yes. All right. You know, it, it was so hot, I think I even saw some trees running around looking for shade. <laughs> but, um, Where's your drum, Sam? We need that doo -doo. <laughs> So yeah, I, I bought a loaf of bread at the store, but by the time I got it home, it was toast. <laughs> Let's grab our Bibles and turn to Matthew chapter seven. Yeah, we're still in the Sermon on the Mount, and, uh, but it's, it's good. You know, Jesus gave this sermon, and I used to know how many words, but I forgot, I didn't write it down. But I can read it through, at taking my time in nine minutes. And when he gave it, he probably gave it in yeah, 15 minutes, 20 minutes tops. So it's a short sermon. But even at that, it's the longest recorded message we have from Jesus in the Bible. And not only that, it's the first one that we have from Jesus in the Bible. So Matthew chapter 7, we're going to start with verse 21. Verses 21 through 23, I'll read now. Thanks, Vince. All right. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for giving us this time tonight to open up your word and to learn more of you. Thank you for giving us this time tonight to open up our hearts before you, where we can sit quietly before you and let the light of your word shine into our hearts into those dark hidden corners reveal us to yourselves Lord expose our faults to us and show us the changes you want us to make in Jesus name we pray amen so this is a warning Jesus gives us a warning here um, you know, our life is filled with warnings. We've got warnings about everything, it seems like. We've got road construction warnings. We've got um, school zone warnings. We've got, uh, well, now we've got coronavirus warnings. So, but there's some other warnings that, that we have. Uh, whenever we buy a product, it seems like, and we bring it home, most of the products today have warning labels on them. And I think that's a sign of our litigious society today where we've got lawyers actually chasing ambulances on the way to the hospital and, and whatnot. But um, these warning labels have gotten a nickname and they're called wacky warning labels. And you can look them up on the internet because there's a whole bunch of them and, and some of them are hilarious. So um, I'll, I want to go through a few of those for us this evening. So a baby stroller. You buy a baby stroller. And this is the warning. Remove child before folding. Okay. Uh, who, who tried to fold up the 
stroller with the baby in it. Somebody did. Oh, it was Sam. Okay. You know, so you're at the mall and you're going out the parking lot. You go out to your car, you fold the stroller up, put it in the trunk. You get in the car and you go, "Dear, where's the baby?" Wheelbarrows. Um, I have a wheelbarrow at home, and I looked, and on the tire it says "not intended for highway use." <laughs> you know, the little 13, 12, 13 inch tire on the wheelbarrow. You know, and I was on the I-10 a couple weeks ago, and sure enough, there was a guy going down the the fast lane, wheelbarrow. And the sad part was he was passing a Chevy Volt. That's, that's for you, Dave. But <laughs> on a thermometer, yeah, a digital thermometer, you know, for taking your temperature. Once used rectally, this thermometer should not be used orally. <laughs> okay, I'm glad I read that. On Apple's webpage, they used to make a product I don't think they make it anymore. It's called the iPad Shuffle. It's a really, really tiny MP3 player. And on their website, it says, do not, what does it say? Uh, I forgot. Do not eat iPod Shuffle. <laughs> but, but it's an apple, right? It's supposed to be nutritious. <laughs> on a toilet brush, do not use for personal hygiene. <laughs> I wonder how often that's happened. On a Dremel rotary grinder, you guys know what a Dremel is, right? It's a little tool. It's about this big in diameter, maybe that long, and, and it spins really fast, like 36,000 RPMs, and it makes it sound like a, a, like a bee on sugar high or something. It, it, on the packaging for a Dremel tool, or a Dremel rotary grinder, it says, this product not intended for use as a dental tool. Now, this tells us that somebody's actually tried that. You know. <laughs> Hey, I cut my own hair, right? I'll just give myself a root canal. <laughs> the label on a bottle of drain cleaner warns, if you do not understand or cannot read all directions, cautions, and warnings, do not use this product. You can't read. <laughs> maybe, maybe a skull and a crossbones would have been better. <laughs> on a jet ski. Now this one, this one, I haven't done this. But I think I've thought about it in my younger days. On a jet ski, never use a lit match or an open flame to check the fuel level. <laughs> so you've got a jet ski or an ATV and, or a motorcycle, and you take the gas cap off and, hmm, can't see. Light a match. No, don't do that. Don't do that. I've, I've never heard of anybody that's done that, but I bet it's happened. But I do know of a guy who, um, he was jump-starting a battery and it was dark. And he did use a match so he could find the negative terminal, and the battery exploded. So anyway, that, that happens. So they need to put warnings on batteries. I don't know. Maybe they do now. Bottle of dog medicine. Warning, may cause drowsiness. Use care when operating a motor vehicle. <laughs> now, you guys may know that we have this dog. His name is Tucker. He's actually a small horse. but. Um, He's pretty smart. He, he's learned a lot of things. It's amazing all the words he knows, but um, he hasn't learned how to drive a car yet. But if he does, no doggy cold medicine for you if you're going to drive tonight. So, anyway, a manufactured log for a fireplace has this warning. Danger, flammable, may cause fire. Well, when I bought it, I was kind of hoping it would cause a fire. <laughs> OK. 
Last one, and my favorite, best for last. Never try to catch a falling knife. <laughs> you know, so you got this knife, and it's got a big, heavy carbon steel blade, razor sharp. You're slicing up some watermelon. You lay it down on the wet counter, and it kind of slides off to the side. And you got a ceramic tile floor, and you don't want that blade to get chipped on your floor. So you're reaching down. Don't do that. I have any show of hands. Has anybody tried to catch a falling knife? I have. <laughs> yeah, I lucked out, but. <laughs> so. so, wacky warning labels. Look them up on the internet if you, if you got some. Yes, you have one? <laughs> that could be disastrous. Yeah. You might wake up with a few sunburns on your face. So, but God gives us a lot of warnings in the Bible. And in the Sermon on the Mount tonight, we've come to a place where Jesus gives us this seriously sobering and stern warning here at the end of the Sermon on the Mount. Sermon on the Mount, amazing teaching. Um, it would be almost like you'd think the creator of the universe wrote it. Well, wait, he did. But uh, it is amazing because the way it fits together, the way it ties the Old Testament to the New Testament, the way it just flows. And Jesus covers so many different topics in the Sermon on the Mount, but they all fit together perfectly. And, you know, that. why are we surprised? We shouldn't be. So we'll come to the end of the Sermon on the Mount to get our background, our context, we're just going to briefly review what Jesus has taught previously. The Sermon on the Mount, it's a challenging thing to teach because if you take it piecemeal, you don't get what Jesus is trying to say. You're going to get this thought here and this thought here. But if you put them together, you're going, oh, this is what he means here, and this is what he means here. But if you take them separately, it's, it's like taking Bible verses out of context almost. You've got to do it in one big gulp. So um, we're going to quickly, briefly go over the Sermon on the Mount. It was a bridge. Jesus' teaching here was a bridge from the Old Testament to the New. And we've talked about this before. The last word in the Old Testament was cursed. The very last word in Malachi was cursed. The very first word of Jesus' teaching here, which is the first recorded teaching by Jesus, is blessed. So is that a coincidence? You know, the Old Testament, the law, the sacrificial system versus the New Testament, the gospel message, the grace, the salvation. I don't think it's a coincidence. So, and then all these blesseds at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, which we call the Beatitudes, the Beatitudes, this is what we should be. But the very first one, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, I've told you before, there's two Greek words that are translated into the English word poor. One of them is, it, it, it could be translated to working poor. It's a, it's a person who's poor, but you know they can, they can work, whether by barter or by earning wages, they will survive. They might have a modest, humble home that they live in, but they're going to do okay. But the other Greek word for poor is better translated destitute poor, which means there's no hope. Whether this person is too old, whether this person has become ill, has a disease, or had an accident that incapacitated them, 
if they don't get assistance from someone else, they're going to die. And that's the word that Jesus uses here. Blessed are the destitute poor, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. What does he mean by that? What he is saying is, when you realize your true spiritual condition, that you are destitute, you are guilty, you're guilty of sin, and sin demands death, you're going to die. There's no way you can work your way out of it. You can't be good enough. There's nothing you can do to erase your sins. You're going to die. That's what Jesus is saying. When you come to the point where you realize that is your lot in life, you're spiritually dead, that is when you're ready to say, Lord, I need you. Help me. Rescue me. And yours is the kingdom of heaven. What a message of grace. That's the message of grace that we find throughout the Beatitudes, where actually there's eight Beatitudes, eight God's number of new beginning, eight Beatitudes, and they're a progression, a progression in the sanctification process that we go through as we become more like Jesus. Poor in spirit, mourn, meek, hunger and thirst for righteousness, merciful, pure in heart, peacemakers, and persecuted for righteousness' sake. So the Beatitudes are a picture of God's grace as Jesus seems to bypass the requirements of the Old Testament law where we read in two different places in the Old Testament, the Tanakh is what the, the Jews call it, the Old Testament, two different places we read the soul that sins will surely die. But Jesus seems to bypass that and he says yours is the kingdom of heaven. So. In the Old Testament, we read about the laws and the sacrificial system that were requirements for a relationship with God. And Pastor Dennis has been teaching this, in fact, last Sunday was a great message about um, the sacrificial system part of it. And just, oh, the sacrificial system, you know, that's, it's gruesome, it's gory. But So instead of the curse and the condemnation of the Old Testament law, Jesus pronounces in the Beatitudes that we're blessed. And it's quite a contrasting picture. Now remember his audience here. At the end of Matthew chapter 4, we read that he traveled throughout Galilee. He was teaching in the synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, healing all kinds of diseases and illness. And then uh, verse 24 now is where I'm at. Then his fame went throughout all Syria and they brought him all sick people who were afflicted with various diseases and torments and those who were demon possessed, epileptics and paralytics, and he healed them. Great multitudes followed him from Galilee and from the Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and beyond the Jordan. Bible commentators and Bible scholars who study this stuff said that there could have been over 100,000 people following them at this point. I mean, this is a big area, and there were a lot of people there, and he was doing some amazing things. All these people that he was healing. So great multitudes followed him, Matthew writes in verse 25. Large crowd of people. And it surely contained Pharisees, it contained Sadducees, scribes, and other religious leaders. And they must have been thinking, wait a minute. The Old Testament, our Tanakh, says you must be circumcised. The Tanakh says you must offer sacrifices. The Old Testament law says you must obey this, you must do that, and you're still not guaranteed anything about heaven. Jesus knew what they were thinking. And in verse 17, Jesus says, do not think that I came to destroy the law. We're in, this is chapter 5 now, verse 17. This is after the Beatitudes. Jesus says, 
Do not think that I came to destroy the law or the prophets. I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill. For surely I say to you, till heaven and earth pass away, one jot or one tittle will by no means pass from the law till all is fulfilled. So in verses 17 and 18, Jesus transitions from the Beatitudes, God's grace, to the teaching of the law, which is the big boogeyman in the room. And it always has been for us. The law is something that um, there's just no getting around it for us. It beats us up one side and down the other. Jesus said, don't think what I'm saying is destroying the law. But the rabbinical teaching of that day would say, he's destroying the law. Jesus says he came to fulfill the law. So how does he do that? Again, Ezekiel 18.4 and 18.20 says, The soul that sins will surely die. Sin requires death. Remember the first sacrifice, Adam and Eve. They ate the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. They realized their nakedness. They sewed together fig leaves to cover themselves. Now, I've never felt a fig leaf, but I've got it on my bucket list. I want to do that because I've heard they're really rough. Does anybody here know what they feel like? That would be the most uncomfortable thing to sew together for clothing. And, and God more or less said to Adam and Eve, hey, I've got a better idea. So he made them clothing of animal skins. That's more like it. But where did he get the animal skins? He had to kill them. Sin requires death. That was the first sacrifice as a covering for man's sin when God gave them animal skins to wear. And then Passover lamb. Remember, the children of Israel are in Egypt. God is preparing to deliver them out of Egypt. And he tells them to take a lamb without spot, without blemish. Take it into your home with you for three days. Keep it in your home. Now, I have a little experience with lambs because I raised a few bum lambs, lambs that didn't have a mom, and if you don't feed them, they'll die. But they are the cutest animals. And, you know, once you feed them, they're, you're their hero. They follow you around. You go next to the pen, they follow you up the fence, down the fence. You go into the pen, and they're rubbing up against you like real affectionate dogs. They are really, really cute animals. Unfortunately, they grow up to be sheep, which are dumb, stupid animals. But <laughs> lambs are really, really cute. So God told them, or Moses told them, take the lamb with you in the house for three days. And I'm sure by that time... The kids have bonded with the lamb, you know, and they've, they've named it. You know, this is Lucy. What's your lamb's name? You know, it's become a pet. And then after three days, dad takes the lamb. He slits its throat. And he sprinkles the, dud, the blood as a covering on the doorpost. Sin causes death. The law states, crimes have been committed. Somebody has to die. So now again... One of my favorite Bible verses, Hosea 12.10. I have also spoken by the prophets, God speaking, and I have multiplied visions and used similitudes or pictures by the ministry of the prophets. God likes to give us word pictures, and, and he knows us. It's so much easier for us to understand when we have pictures, and that's what the sacrificial system was. It was a similitude. It was a word picture of the grotesque gruesomeness of sin and what sin requires. Now Jesus became our sacrificial lamb when he died on the cross and this was ultimately what the sacrificial system was a picture of and what it was pointing to. 
Jesus, our sacrifice. And when that happened, we, all of us, we're diehard Bible students here, we know that a spiritual transaction took place. He became our sin, and we who have placed our faith in him became his righteousness. And the penalty for all of our sin was paid for. So just as Jesus said, not one jot or tittle will by no means pass from the law till it's all fulfilled. Jesus fulfilled the law when he died in our place. He took all of the sins that we ever committed on his back when he hung on the cross. He paid a gruesome price being tortured and beaten, but the biggest price he paid was the spiritual battle that he went through and then the ultimate separation from his Father because God cannot look on sin. And Jesus' first words from the cross were, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The first time, yeah, we could actually conclude from that the Trinity was fractured, the Trinity was broken. Jesus had lived in perfect fellowship with his Father, and now he's all alone. So, now, just in case there's any in this crowd of 10, 50, 100,000 people, any there who think they can fill the law on their own, Jesus goes through the next 30 verses showing us how impossible that is. And a large part of the Sermon on the Mount is to magnify for the law, magnify the law for us, showing that no one can obey it. Jesus points out the law is more than just outwardly obedient actions, which we cannot do successfully. And he shows us that even the very depths of our heart were guilty of breaking the law. We can't keep the law. The law cannot save us, can't make us righteous, but instead it condemns us. It shows us we're guilty. The law was given to us to show us that. It was given to us as a moral mirror. We look in the mirror. We see our warts. We see our pimples, our leprosy. We see our blood-stained hands. And the law is absolutely helpless, absolutely helpless in changing our life. Once we understand the harsh, ruthless, revealing nature of the law, we then want to crawl under a rock, maybe, as we see how destitute, depraved, and poor in spirit we are. And it's when we come to that point that we're ready to let Jesus rescue us. So. Romans 3.20 By the deeds of the law shall no flesh be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. It's then that we're ready to bow our knee before Jesus and say, I can't fix myself. I can't be righteous. Save me, Lord. And he will. He will honor that prayer. Then in chapter 5, the very last verse of chapter 5, comforting verse, Therefore you shall be perfect just as your Father in heaven is perfect. And the tense of shall be, it's, in the Greek it's called the aorist tense. Now in English we have past, present, and future tenses, and our verbs are constructed around that. But in the Greek here, there's an aorist tense, which is an all-encompassing tense. It means everything, past, present, and future. So this could be translated, this verse, therefore you shall be perfect completely, past, present, and future. You're going to be clean. So it's going to happen because of what we've done? No, because of Jesus fulfilling the law on our behalf when he hung on the cross. So when we embrace that, God doesn't see us in our sin. He sees us in his son. He sees us as who we are in Jesus, and it's just as if we've never sinned at all. Then in chapter 6, Sermon on the Mount, Jesus shows us a picture of the fulfillment of the law. He shows us the danger of hypocrisy, 
a mistake that's easy for believers to commit. He says, don't be like the hypocrites. He says, when you give or when you pray. And then he gives us this model prayer. We call it the Lord's Prayer. Beautiful prayer. Uh, just like the Sermon on the Mount. It's concise. It's condensed. But it's complete. Then we looked at his teaching about the importance of setting priorities. Lay up for ourselves treasure in heaven. As opposed to treasure on earth. And then we come to chapter 7. Now, as we are on the mountainside with Jesus and the huge crowd of disciples, he's continuing to teach us about the kingdom of heaven in this amazing sermon. And after warning about the law, the hypocrisy, the incorrect priorities, Jesus teaches us that there's basically two different paths we can take, two different foundations to build upon. Let's read again verses 21, but now we'll go through 20 to 29. And I can't read the clock from up here, Vince, so I don't know how. how. Well, that's good, because we've got a lot to go yet. I didn't bring my watch. Maybe I can, I'll, I know, I can put my clock on my computer. There we go. Got it. Okay, verse 21 through 29. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, we've done many wonders in your name, and then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Okay, I'm going to stop there. I want to comment on this before it gets old in our memory. So uh, in verse 21, he who does the will of my father. What is the will of his father? Is it keeping the law? Well, yeah, but... In first, Second Peter 3.9, we read that the Lord is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And that's what Jesus confirms in the Lord's Prayer in Matthew 6.10. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, in the context of the Sermon on the Mount, God's will is, going back to the Beatitudes, that we should have the kingdom of heaven. That's his will for us. That's what he wants. We can't get it by following the law, but we can get it by following Jesus. So that's what God's will is for us. So in 21, Jesus says, he who does the will of my Father in heaven, and that is believing, trusting in, relying on, and clinging to Jesus for our salvation. That's God's will for us. Now, at the, in verse 23, Jesus says, And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Now, I don't think, I wished we could hear the inflection in his voice, but I don't think he said that out of anger. I don't think he said that out of wrath. I think he said that out of sadness. I think he said it, I never knew you. Depart from me. You're practicing lawlessness. What is practicing lawlessness? Is breaking the law. And we are all lawbreakers. And that's how God sees us if we don't have Jesus covering and his resurrection and, and death and paying the price for our sins in our life. We are lawbreakers. Now also note that he says, I never knew you. He doesn't say, I knew you once, but not anymore. You know, a lot of people say, well, um, this person over here, they're a backslider. They've walked away from the Lord. Well, 
Don't count your chickens before they hatch. It's not over till it's over. I do believe that when Jesus, when God adopts us into his family, we become his sons. And Jesus said, none of them will escape from my hand, those that are mine. So I believe when Jesus said this, he meant it when he said, I never knew you, never, ever, ever knew you. It didn't happen. He didn't say, I used to know you, but I don't now. He says, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. So there was a um, movie, and it was called The Resurrection of Gavin Stone, I think. I, I should have written it down, but I didn't. But it, this was a movie that it was about, um, it was an actor, and in this movie he was a bad boy, you know, a party animal. He just, no bounds, Sam knows all about that. But <laughs> he got arrested and he had to do community service. And the community service was he had to do some janitorial work in this church. Did you see the movie, Dave? You were nodding like I thought, oh, someone's seen it. But um, when he was doing the community service in this church, they were, uh, this church was getting ready to, to present a play about Easter, about the resurrection of Jesus. And he looked at it, and he was an actor, and he goes, you know, I can help these guys out. So he offered his services. He says, can I play the lead role? And they said, well, you have to be a Christian. And he says, well, I'm a Christian. You know, I, I, I'm born in the United States. I'm a Christian. I can do that. And they said, well, okay. So he went home and he Googled, what do Christians say? You know, how do they dress? You know, because he knew nothing about being a Christian, but he Googled it and he had all the answers. So in the movie, here's one scene. He's going to church. He's getting out of his car. Oh, he's looking good. He's got this white linen shirt on. You know, it's tucked in and a black leather belt and dress shoes. And... Um, He's dressing like a Christian. You know, he doesn't normally dress that way. He goes in, he greets the people. He, he has the lingo down. He says, good morning, brother, how you doing? You know, he's got it all down. And then uh, the worship service starts and he's raising his hands and he's singing and he's, he's a Christian. He looks just like a Christian. And he's doing a great job. But he wasn't a Christian. And that's the type of person that Jesus is referring to here where he says, they will come and they will say, have we not prophesied in your name? We've cast out demons. We've done all these wonders. But this is the type of person that Jesus is referring to. Now, basically, if you get before God and you start saying all the things I've done, right away, you've just disqualified yourself because you're telling God, anybody else who's hearing you, where your heart is, and your heart is in your own works. It's not in what Jesus has done. A born-again Christian will not brag about what they've done. They will brag about what Jesus has done. So this is what's going on here. Now, uh, when we are before Jesus, remember, it's not what we've done that matters, it's what he's done. A person who's born again is never going to stand and tell them all the things they've done and try to justify themselves. A person who is born again is never going to hear Jesus say to them, Depart from me. I never knew you. Okay, let's pick it up now in verse 24. 
Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat on that house, and it did not fall, for it was founded on the rock. Now there's a concept here, it's called spiritual constancy. It's where uh, a metaphor is used over and over and over again in the Bible to represent something. And the word we're talking about, obviously, is rock. And you guys know what that word represents in the Bible over and over again. Jesus was the rock in the wilderness that the water flowed out of for the children of Israel. Jesus was the rock in the book of Daniel that hit the statue in the feet and caused it to crumble. Jesus is the rock that Paul spoke of in the epistles where he said it was the rock that followed them through the wilderness. And, and even when Joshua uh, crossed the Jordan with the children of Israel and Joshua told them, take 12 rocks, one for each tribe. And I'm sure they weren't pebbles, they were probably huge stones. But that was a picture of Jesus for them to look back on and see what God had done for them and how he had delivered them out of Egypt and into the promised land. So the rock that this wise man is building on is Jesus. That's the rock. Now here in Arizona, we have something that's called caliche. Now I never knew what caliche was, but um, it can ruin your day if you're trying to do any digging or any landscaping. Uh, it's nasty stuff. You know, and I'm still thinking caliche is Spanish for concrete. I could be wrong on that, but you know what happens to caliche when it gets wet? It's not a rock. It turns to mud. And so, verse 26, but who, everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the caliche, or the sand. And the rain descended, the floods came, the winds blew and beat on the house, and it fell, and great was its fall. And so it was, and Jesus had ended these sayings that the people were astonished at his teaching. he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. Now, the wise man and the foolish man building their house, you guys know that we're going to have storms in this life. Jesus doesn't say if the storms come. He says when they come. When the storms come, they're going to come. But the primary storm that we're all going to have to face is the storm that comes at the end of our life a storm called death. And it's then when we want to make sure we're built on the rock and our house will stand. We don't want to be built on the sand and have our rock fall. And that's what Jesus is getting at here in all of this last section that we just went through. Because guys, it is going to be an absolute nightmare. Can you imagine it? A nightmare to stand before Jesus and have him say those words to you. I never knew you. Depart from me. Because you know at that point your eternal destiny is going to be one of two things. It's going to be an eternity with your loving Heavenly Father forever and ever. Or it's going to be an eternity where there's gnashing and wailing and gnashing of teeth where the fire never burns out. 
it's going to be a nightmare for anyone to hear those words. And uh, just, I, you know, I, I tried to dwell on that, what it would be like. And um, there's going to be wailing before they even get into hell. When Jesus says, depart from me, I never knew you. Oh, don't want to be there. We don't want to be there. So the challenge to us that Jesus is making is, don't be the actor like in the movie, The Resurrection of Gavin Stone. Don't be the actor. You know, you can fool a lot of people and you can probably even fool yourself if you're not careful. Our relationship with Jesus is just that. It's a relationship. And that's what Jesus is getting when he says, I never knew you. That's what he's indicating. We have to know Jesus personally. We have to know him intimately. You know, throughout the course of the day, are we talking to him? Are we saying, Lord, what do you want me to do here? You know, walk with the Lord, minute by minute, hour by hour. Um, he loves us. He really loves us. And he wants us to be with him forever. You know, the statistics on death are really amazing. 10 out of every 10 people are going to die. We're all going to face that time when it's either the narrow way or the broad way. The narrow way is Jesus. I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but by me. The broad way is everything else. You know, it's atheism, it's deism, it's... Uh, Hinduism, Buddhism, it's even many Christians in churches and, and um, who think they're all right. Maybe they've been baptized. You know, I've even heard people say, yeah, I'm a Christian. I live in the United States. Um, it's not going to cut it. So Jesus is giving us a warning here, guys. This is our warning label, the all-time best warning label that we've ever given. And this brings us right back to the beginning of his message. It's like on a constant loop. Remember, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Are you poor in spirit? Do you realize your sin has made you guilty? And there is nothing you can do in and of yourself to get rid of that sin. You have to come to Jesus. You have to come to Jesus and ask him for forgiveness and let him rescue you. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, your word is just so amazing. It's just so full of loving correction for us. You're not willing that anybody should go to hell. That's not your goal or your plan. Lord, help us to, to play the part that you want us to play in being a witness for you. And Lord, we thank you that you love us so much. We thank you that your love never fails. We thank you that you're mindful of us even though we don't deserve it. We do deserve 
that eternity in hell. And, and we get so wicked and so corrupt, but we live in it all the time, so we don't realize it. It's hard for us to realize it, so thank you for the morning. Thank you for the wake-up call, and help us to heed that to the best of our ability. In Jesus' name we pray.